Little girls with heavy minds get upset by the TikTok sound. Written by Anonymous. Narrated by Sky Alley. I have never been one to listen to people. There wasn't anything particular that happened that I heard or saw that made me close my ears to them. Rather, it's like I was born with that conviction scratched deeply on the inside of my skull that people and their words are not worth paying attention to. I do not think myself to be superior to others. I do not think myself to be different than others. I think myself to be living in a slightly different dimension. There is the dimension of others full of words, the smallest existing elements able to carry a meaning of their own. Then there is my dimension, on the other side of a thick glass wall, where the air is so thin the words just don't carry very far. They die in an abrupt, premature death. I've been very happy here on my side of the glass. This came as quite a surprise, I suppose, as the family I was born into has a deep appreciation for words. They come together on various occasions, from our neighbor's parrot's birthday to the fruitcake toss day, and make my head hurt, throwing words at the glass wall of my consciousness. I heard he got stabbed in a karaoke dispute. The audience just couldn't take hearing Don't Stop Believing one more time. Can't blame them, really. Please, I would never let him venture south if you know what I mean. He doesn't do any good even in the deep north. Wasn't her haircut just vomit-inducing? Among all their stories that I pushed to the outer orbit of my mind was also the story of the devil. Of course, I had a vague idea. I've heard kids on the block whispering about black cars without drivers. Stupid, I used to think. It had been years since someone disappeared from the streets, and the only black BMW in town belonged to a Pentecostal preacher. If the devil had ever been cruising through Waratah, he must have moved to the south where, I imagined, people were much more to his liking. It should be mentioned, though, that the last person to disappear was my sister. When she was nine years old, she left the house one late winter afternoon to attend a cello class. She didn't have any talent, nor interest in playing the cello, but it had happened that at some point our parents decided their younger one should play an instrument. She listened. She practiced a lot, signed up for the class, and left the house one late winter afternoon. She didn't come back that day. It wasn't until midnight that my mother, counting to 17 time after time, picked up the phone. The police, however, didn't answer. We later found out that the young officer working that night had fallen asleep. A month later, he got promoted, and although there was a big public event on that occasion, no member of my family attended. While my father was waking up everyone he knew, I walked into my sister's room and looked around. All I could see was a lot of space with very few objects, one or two random posters from teen magazines on colorless walls. A room without personality. By then, I'd known that lack of personality was a family trait, as I didn't have one myself. It didn't bother me. For a moment, I wondered whether it bothered my sister. My cousins did much more than just wonder. As I was wasting away, thinking, their heavy bodies, dangerously overweight despite their young age, followed the panicked rings of the phone into the darkness of the town, with nothing but raincoats and torches. 
That's a good family, I think I heard my father say. Forget the people who send wishes and prayers. Remember the people who get up and go. But the people who got up and went came back empty handed. The child was not found. Time kept moving on. My sister came home 11 days later at 6 47. She quietly opened the door with her key, put her shoes next to mine on the shelf, and sat down on the kitchen floor, staring at the clock. 27 minutes later, she climbed the bamboo ledges, bruised herself severely in the process, and brought the clock down. Her little fists kept punching it until the dial fell apart. Then she ripped out the hands as they were about to move. She murdered in such a manner every other clock inside the house. All this time, and ever after, she didn't say a word. Of course, the family gathered. It was agreed that my sister was taken by the devil to the bottom of hell from which she miraculously escaped, and then everyone moved on and recovered. As much, that is, as you can recover after the devil takes your child away and gives it back to you, only partially functional and frenziedly chasing after time. After that happened, I figured I'd be all right. The women in my family are not particularly attractive, either in personality or otherwise. And I was sure that after having one, the devil would not come back for more. So, even though that feral late winter afternoon, I had a few thoughts tickling the back of my mind, the devil and his black BMW were not among them. I remember putting on my cat ears hat, ignoring my mother talking. The books could be returned to the library the next day, she said, when the sun comes up again. They could be, but there's this thing about me that once I've used something up, I need it gone as soon as possible. Men call me funny names because of that. I got to the library just before closing, paid the 50 pence fine, and left. As you've guessed, a car then stopped by my side and the driver asked for the time. I took my tiny watch out of my pocket. I'd just bought it a week before, the night after my sister got to the previous one. Every time she'd done it, I thought about killing her. Once I almost did. 7.15, I said. I didn't hear a thank you or anything of that kind. Nothing but the purr of the engine as the car jumped forward. Only then did I look up and see the BMW's blank license plate. Interesting, I thought. I guess he's back. I went home not thinking much about it. The next day around 6.30, however, anxiety fell upon me. Or upon my legs, to be exact. I was cooking spaghetti to Curtis Fuller's Five Spot After Dark. Without any warning, my thigh muscles twitched. A burst of unknown energy went all the way down to my toes, and just like that, my legs weren't mine anymore. Although they didn't use their newly gained independence in any sinister way, losing body parts to some alien power was rather upsetting all the same. What could I do, though? I kept cooking the spaghetti. Fifteen minutes later, when I had got the spaghetti to be nearly edible and listened to Five Spot After Dark three more times, the legs finally decided to take me somewhere. Before I gave in to them, I turned off the cooker just in case. Then I got carried away to the street, right in front of Waratah's newest Aldi, and I waited. The moment the BMW appeared two blocks away, I was given back full control over my body. I thought about running. But I quickly realized I didn't want to. It made sense for me to be there, I decided, to get into the car and go with the devil. The car ran smoothly and had leather seats. 
The driver, a tall man in a worn-out fedora, didn't seem to expect any verbal entertainment on my part, which made me rather content. I took a quick glance in the rearview mirror, but all I saw was a reflection of all my sins, so from then on I kept my eyes on the road. We were going west. For hell to be located somewhere near Jesmond, that made perfect sense. I couldn't tell if we were going for an hour or a day. My watch was stuck on 7.15. From the corner of my eye, I noticed a familiar shape under the man's left sleeve and felt a spark of outrage firing in my gut. If he had his own watch, there's no excuse to harass strangers on the street, asking about time. It's simply unacceptable. If everybody acted like that, what would the world look like? Will it take much longer? I asked. Not really, he answered. So will it or won't it? So ended my first conversation with the devil. How much later, maybe God knows, we finally stopped in front of a public toilet in Hexham. The devil walked in like he'd been there many times before and I followed. Inside, the toilet smelled of pine trees and sadness. He approached the one cubicle found in every public toilet, the one that's always locked for a reason known to no one. I'd always thought it was to keep the emo teenagers away from the cleaner's bleach. When the devil pried the door open, however, there was no doubt that what the cubicle was hiding was the gate to hell. Am I taking my body with me? Of course, he said, taking the watch off my wrist and throwing it down the toilet. How would I torture you without it? And so it happened. I entered hell. First, I walked down a corridor the length of a lifetime. By the time I got to my assigned room, my kneecaps felt like footballs filled with screws. Luckily, there was a bed in that basic standard for one. I lied down as the devil locked the door and left me alone for an eternity of suffering. At first, the suffering was nowhere to be found. Sure, there was nothing to listen to and nothing to look at, but I didn't mind. I closed my eyes and thought about my uncle. He'd died some years ago, but I remembered his corpse very well, pale and dry, without a trace of his usual sliminess. According to the devil, my uncle couldn't have gone to hell since he left his body behind. I felt cheated by the universe. But I guess for the things he'd done to children left under his care, there wasn't a place, even in hell. That's what I was thinking about for quite some time. After I finished, things suddenly got worse. With no thoughts and no butterfly wings to keep away the absolute silence, I heard my heart pumping with all its strength, the blood caressing the inside of my veins, the cells dying quiet deaths and being reborn equally silently. I don't know about other human beings, but my mind wasn't made for venturing this deep down into the mechanics of existence. I decided hell wasn't for me after all. I got up and called the devil's name, only then I realized it may not have been his actual name at all. All this time in the car and I didn't ask. I'd thought my mother had raised me better. His name or not, he came all the same. I want out, I said. That poses a problem, he answered. Why? It's been done before. I knew only one person who had been to hell and back, so despite the little flame it put in my stomach, I thought about my sister. I retraced her day in my mind, saw her petite body still under the winter covers. The alarm clock comes to life, 
She opens her eyes and murders it swiftly. After that, she goes about her day without a word, taking care of the usual household chores in between the killings of various time-measuring devices. Then I remembered the cold touch of the devil's fingers as he took my watch before the gate of hell. And among the complaints of my overstressed kidneys and first shrieks of newborn wrinkles, I also heard an idea coming to life. I want your watch, I said. He said nothing. Let's play poker for it. Why I said that I have no idea. I had played poker twice before and was neither good at it nor enjoyed it. It just made sense, I suppose, to play poker for the devil's watch in the depths of hell. That's how I ended up here, at the devil's poker table at 7.15. I let him shuffle, although probably I shouldn't, as someone in his line of work is bound to cheat. I can't, however, do it myself. My hands are giving in to the process of aging and something else. Some feeling I can't verbalize, though I would actually like to hear a voice for a change. Any voice. Maybe my sister's would do. Or maybe even my own. I pick up my cards to see that they're blank. The glass wall of my mind turns red as I realize I won't be given a chance to lose my soul fairly. The rare feeling of feverish fury takes me back to when I was six and a man counted my teeth with his tongue. How he humiliated me. How he made me actually want to hurt him. As I'm thinking about that, I see a shadow creeping at the edge of one of the cards. It stops under my surprised gaze. Not scared, but waiting. A lightning of tension goes through my mind, reminding me of that time I played poker with my uncle. What we played for, I can't remember. Whatever it was, the stakes must have been high, since even the vaguest idea of it puts an almost unbearable sourness in the back of my throat. Think of your sister, the devil says. So I do. I think of her face, still and cold but no longer melting on the bus stops and neglected playground fences. That first rather lousy memory of violence was barely worth a two of spades. I browse my brain in search of the lowest moments of my earthly existence, but all I find is a theft of a perfume bottle, eating my sister's chocolate cake, and that one time I told my mother I hated her. The chocolate cake gets me a nice enough card, but I still don't have a pair. I need a really bad one. I summon some long-lost memories, including my uncle, but there's no anger in them, no hate, nothing I could blame myself for, nothing but weariness and fear. I turn my mind around to face the glass wall directly, and I see it right behind it, stored carefully for a moment like this. I guess I should be thankful my subconscious predicted a situation of this kind, or maybe after I'm out, I should just go see somebody. Right now, though, I have no choice but to play the memory and hope for the worst. Unlike the previous ones, this carries no rage and no jealousy, no exhaustion or fear, just lots of shame with a sprinkle of guilt. The glass wall is all wet when I press play. Interior. Girl's bedroom. Day. Girl and boy sit on the edge of the bed. Girl holds an open book on her lap, and she is fiddling with the corner of the page. Boy has his eyes fixed on the pattern of her blouse. Boy. You know he killed himself. Girl. Yeah. Vague insecurity about the future and all. Boy. Huh? Girl. 
I mean, at 35, I'd be like that too. What else is there, right? A pause. Boy. Right, right. How'd he do it again? Girl. Barbital. Boy. What's that? Girl. I be sedative, I think. They. He kisses her. The book falls onto the floor. Sister enters. Boy smiles at her, while girl tries to cover boy's wrist with her hand. Sister approaches boy, points at the watch on his wrist. He continues to smile at her. She bites his wrist. In shock, he throws her across the room. Sister remains still for a long moment. Then she calmly lifts her head and presses her teeth together. The watch in her mouth breaks. Crumbs of glass cascade onto the floor. Girl runs to her and puts her hand on sister's head. Interior. Bathroom. Continuous. Girl fills the bathtub with water. Then she forces sister's face under the surface. Interior. Girl's bedroom. Evening. Girl sits on the edge of the bed, watching the wound from the glass shards on her foot. Sister walks in. Her hair is dripping wet and she's carrying a load of cutlery. She picks up the books, hands it to girl, sits on the floor and starts polishing the silver. Just as expected, this one earns me a queen of spades. With no shame left, I look the devil in the eye as I lay my worst memories down on the table. I lose. Congratulations, he says. Have you ever played poker before? I ask. He puts his watch in my hand. I look down at the tiny masterpiece ticking rhythmically, living its little life, and I feel pity for the thing I'm about to become. There's no other path for me, though. It's been decided at some point, long before 7.15 on that late winter afternoon. I break the glass and push the hands, and among the cries of the tortured souls, the echo carries a sound which couldn't be mistaken for anything else. The sound of a cubicle in a public toilet in Hexham opening slowly. The devil accompanies me all the way up. You'll get home all right on your own? Sure, I answer. Look out for the elephant. Excuse me? An elephant vanished in Hunter. If I know anything about elephants vanishing in this area, they tend to reappear in random spots. I nod and walk out of hell. It's a sunny day on Earth, mid-spring judging by the tulips desperately forcing themselves on all the other plants. I board a train. The elephant vanishes, shouts the first page of the newspaper read by the man sitting next to me, then walk home for an hour. Using a key still stuck in my pocket, I quietly open the door, put my shoes on the shelf, and go into my room. My sister's waiting for me. I give her the devil's watch and observe her as she moves the hands around. She plays like this for a while. Then she speaks and I listen.